My name is Ben Stone, and today is Monday, October 29th, 2012, and this is podcast number 220. And as usual, before I really get into the body of the uh, of the podcast today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with BadQuaker.com and, and all that kind of thing, sort of updates. We do have our, our, uh, our forum is up and running now. We have, oh my, I think there's probably about 60... Around somewhere around 60 members so far. And uh, so you can get over there. Just go to badquaker.com, and there's a button right on the front uh, to the right-hand side that says Forum. Or you can just enter into your browser, badquaker.com forward slash forum, and probably another forward slash would probably help you get there. But either way, uh, if you go over to the forum, there's already some lively discussion taking place. As a matter of fact, um, let me just pop up the forum here on my browser, and I'll tell you some of the things that I see on there real quick. And and the reason why I'm kind of pushing the forum is because a forum is a really good place to... Um, for individuals to go and kind of bump ideas off of each other and share with each other. And, uh, you know, we've got some real talent. Uh, to to run a forum is not that easy. To run a good forum, to run a forum that's informative and where people can really get to know each other, there's a lot of there's a lot of talent involved in that. And we are starting off with some serious talent on on the uh, on this forum. We have some contributors that are uh, uh, that have uh, that I've worked with on other forums, and um, and they really know what they're doing, and they know how to steer a forum in a way that really makes it a good place. And that's what we want. We want a community there where we can, uh, you know, sometimes disagree, but certainly always uh, help each other to grow and help each other to learn and in and all kinds of topics. Like right now, if you go over to the forum, you're gonna even if you don't log in, you're gonna see. Um, uh, like there's an area where you start here with rules and tips and introductions and that kind of thing. And there's a, a thread on introductions that you can uh, kind of get an idea of the people and, and so forth. And there's a section called General Discussion. And there's subboards or child boards of that called Fun and Travel and Leisure, uh, Expressions of Faith. There's another one called Atheism and Skepticism. You see, we can agree and we can disagree, and that's all right. We can have, among us, we can have people that are uh, people of faith, and we can have people who, uh, you know, uh, to use the terminology, they don't they don't buy superstition. Uh, so, and we can get along with that. There's nothing there's nothing that says that that atheists and theists can't get along when discussing political things. There's also a section for uh, farm, garden, food, and health. So that's a pretty wide uh, uh, topic, but it's a good place to discuss anything from you know how to grow your own vegetables to how to grow uh, food for actual for you know profit, uh, like on a farm, and 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 health issues too. There's another section called Tyranny Today News and More, and I've put a few articles in there already uh, about different things. There's a whole other section of the board of the forum, I'm sorry, that's called uh, Libertarian Fundamentals. And subheadings there are called the Follies, the Folly of Greenbackers and the Zero Aggression Principle are two different sub-boards of the Libertarian Fundamental Board. And that's a good place for us all to go in and kind of rub up against each other and, and uh, learn from each other and modify what we, what we believe and what we understand and so forth. And then there's another board that uh, hasn't had a lot of activity yet, but I suspect it will at some point, and that's the economics board. And, of course, uh, my tendency is towards Austrian economics, but, um, but it's a good place for us all to kind of bump 
ideas and thoughts and, uh, you know, uh, talk of praxology and different things like that that a person involved in, in economics might uh, want to talk about. Now, all those are, are available for anyone to just go to the forum and click on the links and just uh, look around. If you're going to interact with the forum as far as, you know, posting um, uh, your thoughts or whatever, then uh, you're going to need to create a, a, a login. And that's pretty easy to do. There's, t there's a, 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 a thread discussing tips on how to do that and, and uh, you know, on tips on how to choose a, a username. There's another thread on, uh, for tips on uh, how to choose a safe um, password. Also, uh, I forgot to mention it, there's uh, a couple of different uh, boards on there that are specifically for pictures, funny pictures, cool pictures, uh, videos. There's another section, a separate section in the libertarian fundamentals area for, uh, you know, liberty-related pictures, posters, you know, propaganda, uh, uh, and, and videos, uh, liberty-oriented videos. So, and the more that we, all of us together, the more that we add to this, the better it's going to be for all of us. And so, like I said, you can go over and make a, uh, 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 a login, and it's, uh, there's no charge. It's all free. You can go in and make a login, and you can interact on the forum and share your thoughts and share funny pictures or share, you know, uh, liberty-minded stuff. And, um, and it's available for, for everybody just by registering. Now, if you choose to support BadQuaker.com, one method uh, uh, of supporting BadQuaker.com is if you create a login at the forum and you go into your, uh, into your settings, into your account settings, and you can actually become a supporting member in there. Now, that's only uh, $4 a month or it's $25 a year. And and I am partially mentioning all of this because uh, for we started a contest last week for the first uh, few we said ten but actually we've given away more than ten shirts already but we have about three shirts left in this contest we can give away three shirts for the next three people who uh, who become supporting members for a full year and um, and there's various ways to do that you can. You can, like most of the people who have done this so far, have uh, just went in, have created a profile on the forum, and then they've gone into their profile, and they have chosen to become a supporting member, and then they just, it's real simple. The steps are really easy right there. Um, we've had uh, other people who preferred to use, um, you know, methods other than, say, PayPal or, or checks or things like that. And so we uh, we can take, you know, uh, precious metals, or we can figure out how to, we can take... Um, uh, you know, bitcoins, or we can figure some other method if you prefer. We're not necessarily, uh, you know, married to the uh, Federal Reserve dollars here. So now that's kind of a long commercial there for the forum, but I intended it to be because I really, uh, until this thing gets on its feet, and it's it's already going pretty good, but until it gets on its feet, I want to really encourage people to get in there, even if you're not going to become a supporting member, get in there on the forum and make a, a, a login, and interact with others because when you do that, in a sense, in a very real sense, you're contributing to BadQuaker.com just by, even if there's no money involved, just by going to the, to the forum, lo, uh, ma you know, making a login and getting in there and sharing your opinions. And don't worry about, you know, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. Don't worry about that. The only real thing that's important is that we all stay civil with, with one another and that we keep it... You know, it's a, it's a family-oriented board, so we want to keep it in that, in that uh, direction. We don't want to make it um, unfriendly to families. And, and now, uh, so now I'm going to get off the topic of the forum and, and uh, let you rest a little bit from that, from that long commercial. But I, I did want to mention something that's going on, kind of a little bit of a controversy that's taken place lately with the, uh, with the Free State Project folks uh, up there in New Hampshire. It appears that it's it's come to light here recently, and I guess some people noticed it earlier, but it's come to light here recently that the person who drew the map for the campgrounds for Porkfest added a uh, hmm, 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 added a, a a phallic symbol into the map, sort of hidden among the trees. 
And this has kind of come to light of late, and there's a lot of discussion back and forth. Was this, you know, good, evil, neutral, doesn't matter? Why make a big fuss over it? Oh, no, my children might see this. Uh, and, and the discussion goes in all these different directions. And it is, you know, I look at it. I, I was listening to the folks over at Free Talk Live talking about it, and I've watched some of the discussion on Facebook about it. And my initial thoughts were... Um, you know, okay, so this is the kind of thing, and I'm sorry for the artist if he, he if he hears this and he's offended. I, you know, um, uh, too bad. You know, uh, you sh- you, if you're going to be putting symbols like that in a map that's going to be distributed to the public, then you should uh, you should not have a thin skin. You should, uh, you know, you should prepare for some some. Uh, uh, for some criticism, but I think it's kind of a you know maybe a twelve year old childish prank that that people like to do, and um, you know is there any real harm? Well, in a sense, there's not. Uh, the person who drew the map, um, they didn't ask anybody to you know to take to to they didn't force the map on anybody. They drew it. People that took the map and did things with it, that's up to them. They used it for promotional purposes or whatever. Well, you know, you don't want you don't want to use the map, then don't use the map. Draw a different map or hire somebody else. The person didn't get paid for drawing the map. So, you know, it's really hard. I, yeah, it is a childish prank, but it's really hard to really uh, say that it's so horrible or or you know really come down on the person for it because ultimately it's just a stupid little prank um on the other hand you know uh, families might get really offended there's there's a problem with pork fest image uh or there has been a problem with the with the image of pork fest in the past because uh you know quite frankly part of pork fest uh, especially some of the later night activities is um, is a little wild. Uh, there there are things going on that some people don't want to be involved with, but that's as weird as it may seem. That's part of the beauty of Porkfest, is that people can, uh, you know, involve themselves in the things that they want to involve themselves in, and move away and not be involved with what they don't want to be involved with. So, for instance, uh, you know, in the campgrounds itself, there during Porkfest. There are areas late at night where um, where the parties get uh, you know pretty wild, but you don't have to be a part of that. Nobody forces you to be a part of that. Well, somebody might say, "Yeah, but putting something like that on the map of Porkfest is different." Well, you know, yeah, I I understand that point, and and some people are referring to it as being creepy sort of uh, like a like a creepy stalker type of a thing. And I can see that too, but I don't think it was really meant in that way. I think it was more like a childish 12-year-old prank. And the the more that we can just, you know, move past things like that, uh, the quicker we can drop them and not think about them. I, I learned with my kids a long time ago that if I make a big deal out of something that I disapprove of, it fascinates those kids. Of course, they're all grown and adults and out on their own now. But, but I learned that early on, that if I make a big deal out of something, it fascinates the kids, and then they go and, and make a bigger deal out of it. But if something happens and I just glance and pass it and just keep going, then, uh, then it's not a big deal. And they don't think it's a big deal, and the whole thing can be dropped. Now, that's not hiding anything or, you know, it's not really even ignoring it. It's just saying, well, that's not a big deal and just keep moving. And oftentimes, you know, if you take that attitude about things, then kids are far less likely to really make a big deal over something that's not a big deal. But when adults uh, get all upset and all up in arms and make a big deal over something, then kids naturally are attracted to it, and they na- and they naturally gravitate towards uh, things that upset their parents. Because you know, I mean, when you're a kid, I hate to say it, but it's kind of fun to to watch your parents go off on something that that uh, is not really that big of a deal. All right, let me take one more thought back to uh, the forum for a minute, and away from the the nonsense of. Uh, of controversy with Porkfest maps, and um, you know, I, I I put a uh, I put a post in. Oh oh oh! I should mention too, uh, while I'm talking about the form, if you do decide to become a um, 
a supporting member of the forum, more of the forum opens up to you. You see a whole other section of the forum that's not available to uh, to all the free members. So that's a motivative uh, a motivation to actually um, you know pay the uh, the four dollars a month or twenty five dollars a year. And uh, and like I said, we do have three of those T-shirts left for the next three uh, people who um, who support the forum with a full one year membership. Okay, now uh, I, I did. Uh, I have put a couple of different things over there at the forum, and one of the things that I put was sort of an introduction uh, to how. Well, there's two separate ones. There's an introduction for people in general, saying this is who we are. This is you know this is this is me. This is what I do. That kind of thing. But then I, I did another one that was about what drew you uh, to to consider liberty and to thinking of libertarian thoughts and and what drew you towards the liberty movement, that kind of thing. And I used the uh, the example of myself, and I told a little bit about myself, and I mentioned um, some of the conclusions that I came to. Uh, early on in my life, after studies and so forth, I was talking in that uh, in that little thing uh, in that post. I talked about uh, researching during this was during the eighties when I was in my twenties. During the eighties when I was in my twenties, yeah. Um, uh, I, I talked about researching the origins of religious doctrines, specifically Christian doctrines, and I came to the conclusion that most Christian doctrines have an origin outside of Judeo-Christian theology. The vast majority of what people think of as Christian doctrines uh, have no origin at all in Christianity or in the Judeo-Christian theology. And this was kind of disturbing to me back at the time. And it was very disturbing to other Christians as I expressed my opinion uh, at the time, back in the 80s. And I really, uh, I was probably a pretty offensive, as a Christian, I was probably pretty offensive to other other Christians at the time because uh, they would bring up something, there would be some discussion of some particular doctrine. And, uh, and oddly enough, just in casual conversation, I could go back and tell exactly when that doctrine entered you know, Christian thought and who brought it in and what their motive was in bringing it in. So this would really upset people that were, that were really married to a specific doctrine. You know? uh, I'll, I'll pick on one because it's really easy to pick on. This is the, uh, the idea of the rapture. Well, it's not hard at all to find the, the very first Christians who taught this uh, and that was only in the 1600s, by the way, and it was a horrible man named uh, Cotton Mather, just a nasty Puritan that was just the filth of the earth. And then, and it wasn't accepted at all. The doctrine was not uh, picked up on at all. And it was really a doctrine meant to, to keep slaves in their place. That was the whole purpose of it. And that was the purpose of a lot of what Cotton Mather did. And uh, but the, But the doctrine was not picked up at all until up into the 1830s, when um, basically a um, you know a, a, a charlatan um, uh, promoted it and really figured out that he could make a lot of money with it, and so this one doctrine of this of the rapture, the so-called rapture doctrine, this is uh, an extremely new doctrine that's coming to the church. Well, you start saying these things to people, you start saying these th- things to Christians who really put a lot of faith in the rapture doctrine. And you make enemies really, really quick. I mean, uh, we used to refer to it as rupturing the rapture because you, you pop their bubble. And uh, and people get really mad about that sometimes. Uh, so that was uh, something I was really into in the 80s was uh, taking apart a particular doctrine like that and finding out that its origin was not even based in Christianity or in Judeo-Christian theology at all. And I mentioned that in the post uh, but I didn't really go into it a whole lot. Now um, I'm going to go ahead and break for our first uh, our first break here, and when I come back, I'll be a little bit more specific with what I'm trying with what I'm trying to get at. So stick with me. I'll be right back. I'd like to talk to you about Tom Woods's Liberty Classroom. The Liberty Classroom is a collection of courses on history and Austrian economics presented in an easy, convenient way. There are video files and audio files you can download. You can participate in discussions online in the discussion boards. And there are live sessions with Tom Woods and the other educators where you can directly interact with the instructors. Now, who is this for? 
It's for anyone who realizes that they didn't get the real story in government-approved schools. It's also great for homeschoolers and unschoolers. Join Tom Woods and his team, and they'll equip you with one of the very best tools the Liberty Movement has to offer, knowledge, real knowledge in a usable form. At Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom, you can get all this for only $99 a year. Now, that's less than the cost of one movie DVD a month. This gets you access to absolutely everything on their site, all the courses plus additional courses that will be added later, the discussion forums, the live sessions, everything. So how do you do this? You go to badquaker.com. You click on the banner for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. By using that link, you'll let Tom know that I sent you, and you'll help badquaker.com. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the break. Now, I should have said this early on um, in case... Uh, <laughs> In case I've already lost some of those listeners that were that have decided, oh, this is going to be a religious podcast. I don't want to listen to this thing. Well, let me just assure you that I I really strive in in the things that I talk about and the things that I write. I really strive to try to put it in a way that is going to be useful to anyone who uh, who believes in some kind of a afterlife or, or creator or whatever. Um, and I, and I also try to put it in a context so that it will be acceptable to an atheist or a skeptic. You remember I said in the, in the earlier part of the podcast that there's a section on the forum for skepticism and atheism. And that's because I always want to make a place in the conversation for anyone who is not a theist, anyone who is not of a particular religious belief, or maybe they're maybe they're not necessarily an atheist, maybe they're just not, maybe they just don't care one way or the other. But I, I will always, when I try to frame these things, I don't want to exclude one group or the other, whether we're talking about theists or atheists or people who don't care one way or the other. So to keep in context what I'm talking about, I, I want to be I want to be sure that everything that I'm saying can equally apply uh, to the atheist, even though sometimes I may refer to Christianity or I may refer to Judaism or Islam or some other religion, and I may refer to the Bible or whatever. But I want to make sure that if you if you listen really carefully and you listen hard enough and you set aside your your prejudices one way or the other. Uh, and this can be prejudices that the Christian might have against, you know, when I'm saying something that he perceives as anti-Christian. But if you set aside these these prejudices and really hear the point of what I'm trying to say, I think anybody, a theist, an atheist, an agnostic, I, no matter where you fall on the scale, I think anybody ought to be able to get something out of this. And, and again, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to convince somebody to be a theist or convince somebody that, that I have some kind of insight on, uh, you know, on the, the secrets of the universe or whatever. These are just some observations that I've made. And, and it's not necessary that you believe everything that I say. Now, I, I, that's a huge disclaimer, but I really wanted to put that out because what I'm about to say is going to be pretty shocking to if if you're a hardcore Christian who you know is like a King James only is some phrases they one of the phrases that they use. But if you're really a hardcore Christian, what I'm going to say is going to be contrary to everything you've ever been taught. So uh, go back to, again to what I said that keep in mind that most Christian doctrines that are taught in churches today have an origin outside of the Judeo-Christian theology. So really just kind of think about this. Before you throw it out completely, just let it roll around in your mind a little bit. There's a discussion in, in Christianity, and there's discussion in the Bible, and there's, a, well, it appears in other places too. A discussion of this topic that I'm about to say appears in ancient Babylon before the Bible was even written. So, so what I'm talking about here is some foundational things in theology, even outside of Christianity and, and Judeo-Christian traditions. But there's a, a thing referred to as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, the way the story goes, you know, you have Adam and Eve were created, and uh, and God basically created them, put them in this uh, Eden, in this uh, garden, and said to them, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
And uh, according to the story, there was just one thing they were asked not to do. There was a tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they were told uh, not to eat that the fruit of that tree, that anything else in the entire creation was okay for them, but you have to leave that tree, you have to leave the fruit of that tree alone. And now, in just kind of a to get a background um, before I did the podcast, I wandered over to Wikipedia just to see what they had to say about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and I got kind of what I expected. I got um, I got a hodgepodge of gobbledygook, and that's pretty much what you're going to see. And that's not a reflection on Wikipedia; it's because good intending religious people have attempted in Wikipedia to explain you know, what they believe about uh, the this tree of knowledge of good and evil. So much like religion itself, the Wikipedia explanation of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is, like I said, it's a hodgepodge of gobbledygook. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's a bunch of, uh, like most religion, it's just a bunch of stupid ramblings. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, now, one of the things that comes out of the the typical Christian thought of this tree of knowledge and good and evil is this silly nonsense that somehow it's it's a, it's attached to sexual awareness that somehow eating this fruit had some kind of sexual connotations on it and i, I and that this irritates me almost to the point of where i have a hard time discussing it without getting really nasty um, think about it for a second. God creates everything, and and again, uh, for the atheist or for the agnostic or whatever, let's just assume if I if I just say nature instead of God, if I just say the you know all of that uh, all that is, and I talk about the universe, maybe I'm not specifically talking about a guy with a beard who sits on a cloud. Maybe I'm talking about the processes over time that have developed and created everything that is. So if you can if you can accept when I say, when I'm talking about God, if you can accept that as the processes of nature or the processes that we understand in you know in science and and the realm of reality as the atheist might say, um, just substitute when I say God, substitute whatever processes that uh, that brought about what it is that we see around us in the universe. So so getting back to the story now, so the story is that God created the heavens and the earth and he put everything in its place and he put animals and he did all these things and finally he put people and he told them to be fruitful and to fill the earth and um, and then he put a tree there and he says, but don't touch that tree and now we're supposed to believe that that tree is sexual awareness. So what kind of a sadistic God is this that creates humans and tells them to f- multiply and fill the earth? but then somehow makes the relationship involved that you have to do in order to fill the earth, that very relationship is somehow bad? What kind of a sadistic evil God would do that? Is that really the God of Christianity? A a God who would give us these, um, these powerful desires to procreate and then tell us, but if you think about it, you're naughty, you're bad... I'm going to punish you. Does that make any sense at all? And yet that's what lots of Christians believe, and that's what Christian theologians have pushed for centuries, that somehow this naughty apple, ooh, it has some kind of sexual inclinations to it. And others have tried to say, oh, it's the pomegranate. Ooh, well, that's stupid, and it's nonsense, and it doesn't have any historical basis so I, and I don't even like to, uh, you know, normally I, I would try to make some kind of a clear logical argument to bring down a thought like that, but it, it's just so silly that I, that I have a tendency just to slap it down at, at, at the first thought. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's, uh, okay, so let's just move on from that. It, it, what, what we're seeing here, and, and part of the confusion comes in the fact that once they eat this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they immediately notice that they're naked. Well, but that's a judgment call. That's not titillation. They were naked before, and they were procreating before. They were, they were, they were told to. So they were, they were filling the earth long before they ate from the, tr- from the fruit of the tree. So it can't be physical relations. 
It has to be something else. But when they took of the fruit of the tree, suddenly their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. Now that's a judgment call. That's not titillation. In other words, they were looking at each other and they were judging each other. They had created the first man-made law, the first unnatural law. Now I've talked before about natural law and how every bird is subject to natural law, every frog, every squirrel on a tree, every animal is subject to the laws of its nature. Uh, so, so in other words, it's, it's within the nature of a fish to swim in water. But if that fish decides that he's going to climb out of the water and walk around on land, it's not something that he can actually accomplish. Now, sometimes a fish will flop around on land. I'm not saying it can't happen. But I'm saying that animals have to behave themselves within the laws that govern their specific species. This is why an animal like a goose has to fly north in part of the season, and he flies back south in part of the season. And if he fails to do that, the odds are he's not going to you know, have a happy long life with procreation and filling the earth and and multiplying like he's supposed to. Because within each animal, there are are these natural laws. Uh, You know, if a squirrel doesn't hide nuts during during the season when they're in abundance, he won't have them in the winter when they're rare. So by nature, he understands this, and by nature, he hoards uh, food for the winter. This is not this is a law, but it's not a law that the squirrels made up. It's a law that the squirrels obey in order to exist. And humans were subject to are subject to the laws of our nature of of humans. We're not subject to the laws of squirrels and squirrels are not subject to the laws of men. But humans are subject to the laws of humans. And one of those things is we we have to get along. We have to socially get along with one another in order for our species to go, to, to continue to, to procreate and to, and, and to continue to thrive. This is why things like the division of labor are a natural, uh, a natural law to humans. We get more done when we work together. And when we trade among ourselves voluntarily, we increase our wealth and we better our, our, uh, we, we better our own lives when we trade with others. So these are aspects of natural law that are built into the human condition. But when man looks at another man and says, you know what, you're not living the way I want you to live, well, that judgment, that brings in something that's not at all natural. That is a man-made law. Now, it's different when, when one human is harming another human. It's just like with natural law with, with, with animals. Um, you know, there's there's nothing uh, outside of nature when a lion attacks a gazelle. Uh, that's perfectly natural for the lion to do that. That's that's not evil or that's not sinful or it's not bad. It's part of the lion's nature. But typically, lions don't kill and eat other lions. Why not? Meat's meat, right? Well, there's a reason why they don't, and that's natural law. It's built within them not to kill and eat other lions. Well... So humans have built within us certain laws, too, that we function on. And, and part of that is that we tend to get along with each other. But when we decide that we're going to uh, create laws that have nothing to do with natural laws, we've just made them up ourselves, and uh, then we set ourselves up for destruction because we're going outside of the nature of our species. So again, if the fish decides he's just going to walk on land and he gets up and he flops around on the land long enough, he's not going to have a very good future. He's certainly not going to procreate and fill the earth and, and multiply. He is probably going to live a very short, uncomfortable life. And so going back to this tree of knowledge of good and evil, well, the knowledge of good and evil is to judge. When you, when you understand, when you can judge in your mind, well, this is good, that's bad, this is good, this is bad. When you begin to do that, you're judging. That's what you're doing. And so when one human looks at another human and says, I don't like what you're wearing or what you're not wearing. I don't like the fact you don't have a shirt on. You need to have shoes to come into this place of business. Well, it's one thing when you're talking about your own property. But when you decide to make law and enforce it on other people, well, then we're right there in the Garden of Eden, and we're right there at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we're right there at original sin. When mankind takes it upon himself to make his own laws and enforce them on other human beings, that is sin. You are becoming 
the judge. You are placing yourself as lawmaker. You are pushing aside that which made man and that which made man's, uh, made, made man's nature. And you're pushing aside nature's laws. And you're saying, I am the God. I am the one that sits on high. I am the one that judges. And I am the one that makes the law. And that's what you've done. You have pushed God off the throne, and you have made a, a God of yourself. Now, uh, Augustine had a slightly different take on this. Augustine uh, held the position that I held uh, uh, until recently. Augustine said that um, it didn't really matter what the tree was, and it didn't really matter what the fruit was. It was all a matter of obedience and disobedience. This was Augustine's point. And Augustine said, um, you know, it could be, uh, don't pick up this stick. The whole point was being obedient. If you're obedient to God, you can stay in the garden and everything's good. But the minute you disobey God, that's where the problem comes in. And I believed that for years. That's what I believed until just a, just a few years ago, until it dawned on me that, no, um, that's a forced reading. And that's, a, that's taking the scripture and making it say what you want it to say. And uh, again, going back to what I had said earlier, Augustine was the first one to introduce that. And that was, uh, you know, that was a long time after Christianity had already been established. And that was a long time. That was thousands of years after that story had first been told. So that's a new addition to the story. So I'm not buying that. So I look back and say, what is this story really trying to say? And what I come up with is that it is telling us that when man takes it on himself to make his own laws and inflict that upon his own species, that man is kicking God off the throne and making a God of himself. And if you look in Scripture, uh, there are two places in Scripture that talk about, um, well, what's generally believed by Christians to be a discussion of the devil or Satan or Lucifer or whatever. And the, and the two primary areas are in Ezekiel and Isaiah in the Bible. And they talk about, um, they talk about, actually they talk about a man. I mean, if you read it, it's a discussion of a man. And it says that this guy, whoever this jerk was, this guy decided that, um, well, first off, he was beautiful. He was brilliant. He was beautiful. He could sing. He was musical. Um, he had good pipes, it says, you know. Uh, but, uh, but there was a flaw and this flaw was that he wanted to ascend on high. It uses those words. He wanted to be like the Most High. And he wanted to exalt himself up and place himself on the throne like he was a god. He wanted to make a god of himself. And, uh, and it's generally believed that this is a scripture, both of these two, in Ezekiel and in um, uh, Isaiah, are talking about Lucifer or Satan or the devil or whatever. But... You know, there's really no reason, if you read the scriptures themselves, there's no reason to assume that it's talking about the devil unless you already assume that it is talking about the devil. If you don't assume that ahead of time, there's nothing within the scripture that demands that it's talking about the devil. It says specifically it's a man. So why do you want to force it into becoming the devil? Why do you want to force this scripture and create a falling away of the devil, a second um, a second fall, so to speak. You have one fall, the fall of man with, uh, or mankind with this knowledge of the, uh, uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You have that falling away. Why do you necessarily want to create and force into Scripture a second falling away of this magical creature that you've invented, the devil? Why do you want to do that? Why can't you just accept the reading that it's a man? And why can't you accept the the obvious, that it is the exact same story told in Genesis, that it is indeed the fall of man, that when man creates his own law and man says, I want to be like the Most High, I want to be the judge, I want to be the lawmaker, I want to, I want to bring my judgment down upon other human beings, why is it that we want to blame that on the devil when that's the actual tendency of the evil man? Isn't that... The most evil thing that a human can do is to bring his will upon other humans, whether they want it or not. Isn't that tyranny? Isn't that, isn't that government? Isn't that the basis of government, that some human beings have the authority or have the right 
to bring their will upon us and tell us every minute detail of our life. Look at you. You're not wearing the right shirt. Look at you. You're, you're driving five miles an hour too fast on this highway. Look at you. Isn't that the height of sin? Isn't that sin itself? Isn't taking your will and forcing it upon another person the most cruel and evil thing you can do? Isn't it? Isn't it? Now, sure, there's degrees, but isn't that really the essence of sin? I'll be right back. Would you like to do something to support BadQuaker.com? Here's how easy it is. If you're already going to buy something from Amazon, go to BadQuaker.com first. Click on any of the buttons for Amazon. Once at Amazon, shop like you normally would. You'll pay the same price for the things you buy from Amazon, but Amazon will give BadQuaker.com a tiny portion of that purchase. It's amazingly easy to shop at Amazon, it won't cost you any extra, and you'll be supporting BadQuaker.com. Thank you. Did you know author Taryn P. Lupo has a new novel out called One Nation Under Blood? When a rejuvenative blood technology is developed that pits the young against the old, the government must take firm steps to address the war of supply and demand brewing across generational lines. Blood is not the only thing bought and sold in this dystopian tale of technology, economics, and independence. Vampires are now very real, but we never expected them to wear our grandmother's best Sunday dress. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the commercial there. All right, so uh, just a quick recap. Um, again, you know, I, I know it seems like, uh, you, you know, you're listening to this and you're like, why am I putting up with all this religious stuff? I don't want to hear all this. Well, yeah, it is in a way, but if you think about it, I'm talking about the zero aggression principle. I'm talking about property rights. I'm talking about the rights of the individual to be left alone so long as they're not bothering anybody else. And I'm talking about the right of the individual to not have to obey another human just because, just because they have some puritanical ideas of how they want you to behave. I'm talking about uh, phallic symbols in trees. I'm talking about laws that humans write on paper and then expect other humans to obey them. I'm talking about people getting, you know, real picky about tiny little things that they don't really need to worry about because those things are in the behavior of the other people and it's not affecting them. Or or it's behavior, you know, it's what's happening behind your neighbor's fence and it doesn't affect you so it's literally none of your business. I'm talking about the zero aggression principle and I'm talking about property rights. And how did Jesus put it? Let's take this back to Christianity. How did Jesus put it? Well, Jesus said uh, a couple things. You know, they brought this woman to him, and they said, they and they and they were they were handling her pretty roughly, and they said uh, she was caught in the very act of adultery, right in the act of adultery. They caught her. Boy, weren't they pleased, huh? Weren't they pleased to to break into that scene and grab her only? They only grabbed her in the act of adultery. They didn't, they didn't grab the guy and drag him in front of Jesus. That's a little odd coincidence, don't you think? So these, uh, these highly titillated, uh, very religious people grab this woman in the very act of adultery, and they drag her before Jesus, trying to trick him. And, it, and that's part of the story. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to get him to do something that they all knew was against Roman law. They wanted to get him to stone her, to kill her, to execute her which was against Roman law. Or else the other side was they wanted to get him to deny Scripture. See, they, they win either way. They bring this woman before Jesus, demand action, and no matter what he does, they win because they were there for the whole purpose of setting Jesus up. So they bring her before Jesus, they throw her at his feet, and they say the law demands that we stone her. She was caught in the very act of adultery. Now what do you say, Jesus? And Jesus just kind of goes, uh, you know, um, whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead. In other words, you people are judging her. And the very fact that you're judging her puts you in the sinful category. In another place, Jesus talked about uh, what's generally called the, the golden rule. And he said that uh, basically, and I'm kind of I'm paraphrasing pretty heavily here, but he basically said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. In other words, um, 
You know, if, if you like to have your toes stomped on, if you like people looking into your business, if you like people, uh, you, know, you know, rummaging through your stuff to see what you're up to, um, then that's probably how you should treat other people. But you don't really like that, do you? You don't like other people rummaging through your things, manhandling you, treating you roughly, um, taxing you, taking things from you, stealing your wealth. You don't like those things, do you? You don't like other people making up laws and rules that you have to obey and you have to live by. You don't like that, do you? You don't like it when other people get together. Other people get together and they decide among themselves, you know what, let's go to that guy and take $5 of his 10 Let's do that. Let's take half his wealth. You don't like that when other people do that to you, right? So don't do that to other people. It's pretty simple. The golden rule is really pretty simple. It's as simple as the zero aggression principle. As a matter of fact, it's the shadows of each other. It's the same thing, just a, a different reflection in a different direction, a different way of looking at it. But it's the same thing. And when humankind takes it upon themselves to make up laws, make up rules, make up regulations, and enforce them on other people that are not harming anyone. Because if there's harm, they're already breaking natural law. If there's harm, the law is already broken. But if there's no harm done, if nobody is aggressing on anybody else, and you want to make up laws and try to inflict those on people anyway, or if you want to get together with a, a group of your friends and have a nice little vote where you all decide, okay, this is how we're going to do things, and anybody that doesn't do these things the way we want is outside of the law, then you're breaking that zero aggression principle. You're breaking that um, golden rule. You're, you're yanking that, tr that fruit off the tree and chomping it with your mouth open. And you're saying, I'm placing myself on the throne. I'm the judge. I'm the lawmaker. I'm the God. That's exactly what you're doing. And that's what government is. And why would people not object to that? Well, that's the other half of this equation. Why don't people stand up and say, you people can't tell us what to do. Who made you God? Who set you on the throne? But that's the trick of government. The trick of government is to cause people's eyes to be fogged and to cause their brains to not understand what's happening. And it causes them to accept that leadership as being legitimate, whether it is or not. And that's the myth of the state. To believe that government is, is right, to believe that government is legitimate, to believe that one group of humans can make up laws and inflict them upon everyone else. That belief, that myth, that idea, that is the state. The state is not the actual people that do it. Those people are the government. But the state is the myth that these things are legitimate. And, and it has to be done that way. And that's where religion comes in. And that's how the state is a religion. It's not just a, you know, if you have a, a guy who calls himself a priest and wears a funny hat and wears robes and goes around saying funny things, that doesn't make a religion. That's just a guy with a hat and a bunch of weird sayings. But it's when people begin to believe what he's saying and they begin to act based on those beliefs. That's when it becomes a myth and it becomes a religion. And that's where religion becomes dangerous. It's not just what a person believes. But it's, a, it's what a group of people begin to believe to the point of where it changes the way they act and, they cha and it changes the way they behave and it changes the way they interact with each other. And when that's all based on aggression, then you have, a, then you have the problem that comes in because aggression against other humans is against nature. It's not within our nature to be aggressive with one another. Now, if you look at any other animal in, uh, in nature, sometimes animals within their species will be aggressive with one another. You see this often in mating rituals. You see it often where, you know, in, uh, with horses where, where one uh, dominant male will attempt to control a, a herd of females. But, um, but you don't see a horse in the wild rounding up the other male horses and giving them titles and having them dominate one another in some kind of organized manner. They wouldn't tolerate that. They wouldn't do it. It doesn't work that way. And you're, you're not going to see the horses deciding, well, this one horse is not, 
um, you know, is not behaving in the way that all of us other horses want. So therefore, we're going to kill him or we're going to put him in a cage or we're going to we're going to punish him in some way. This is a very unnatural thing. It's un, it's as unnatural for humans as it is for any other animal that that attempted behavior like that. So just consider what natural law. Consider natural law as opposed to man-made law. Think of these two things, and and consider the difference between them. What's the source of man-made law? Well, of course, the source is man. Man makes up the law, and then man inflicts it upon other humans. But what's the source of natural law? Well, the source of natural law is whatever created man. Whether you believe that, you know, uh, you can believe that a guy with a beard sits on a cloud and holds a lightning bolt, and he made man, well, then, if you're consistent, you'll believe that he made laws. But if you believe that... Uh, God is a, a a different thing altogether. Perhaps you believe that there's no individual person that's a God. Uh, maybe you believe all the systems of the universe are God. Or maybe you believe, uh, maybe you're offended at the idea that there might be a God and that everything works within scientific principles. And, and okay, but, but then just consider that that is the source of mankind then. Nature and science and and, you know, the laws of physics and so forth, if if man was created through eons of time and developing from atoms smashing into atoms and eventually life forming in a pool if that's the origin of man then those then those rules that developed with man naturally through the course of of time then that is natural law and that's the origin of man so whether or not you believe in a guy with a beard on a cloud or or you know just the random forces of nature or anywhere in between, realize that the, the natural laws are that which is normal to man. But man-made laws are not at all natural, and they're contrary to our species. And I've said this before, if you take you know, uh, any particular species and it begins, it begins behavior that's contrary to, to its own nature, then uh, that behavior is detrimental to the species. It's detrimental to the individual. But when that behavior becomes species-wide, then it becomes detrimental to the species. And if you think about humans, you know, we often think, well, the state has always been, or we've always had governments, or we've always, you know, but, but all that is part of the mythology and the religion of the state. It's really not true. Up until only about the last hundred years, um, uh, the, the last hundred years, the state's been pretty powerful around the world, and governments control most of the people of the world. There's, I've said this often, in, in Zomia, in, in upland Southeast Asia, there's still about maybe 30 million people that live in stateless societies, and they do not, uh, they do not recognize any particular government. They, don't have, they have a fully functioning society, but they don't have government. But up until about 100 years ago, it wasn't the oddity of, a, of 20 or 30 million people living in upland Southeast Asia. It was the standard of most human beings in the world. And throughout time, throughout the ages, most human beings have existed without the fist of government hanging over their heads. If you think about uh, the North American continent, say, if you just drop, uh, you know, drop a pencil on the timeline somewhere, and let's just say in 1850 in the North American continent, well, uh, where, where was the government uh, reach? How far out did the government reach go? Well, it didn't go very far at all. It was in um, what we now recognize as the East Coast states, and it wandered out into about the, you know, Missouri or so, with St. Louis uh, being some of the outer reaches of the government. But if you get beyond about Missouri or Kansas City out into the West, uh, there was no government for the vast majority of what is now the United States. And with Canada, the government of Canada only existed so far as right around the Great Lakes and the East Coast and a little bit on the West Coast. There was pretty much, uh, all, pretty much all of Canada was stateless. And for Mexico, you know, much of Mexico was stateless well up into the 20, 1920s and 1930s before the government of Mexico really uh, became powerful enough to start to inflict itself, into, especially into the northern parts of Mexico and up into the Sierra Madres. Uh, South America 
was really pretty much uh, without a government in, in most of the Amazon basin, parts of it even today. Parts of it today, the, the government of Brazil doesn't dare go into those areas. But, but those, those societies uh, in the stateless areas function perfectly well. They have their own, you know, their own leadership. They have a functional society. They have rules that they uh, uh, abide by. But it's not, it's not a government. It's not, it's not the kind of law that's uh, developed by government. It's the kind of law where they look around and they say, this kind of behavior is good, let's do this. And that kind of behavior hurts people, let's not do that. Well, that's just following natural law. And that's the same way with, the, with most of humanity up until about 1900. And what I was talking about with Zomia in, in upland Southeast Asia, it's the same thing there. The law is, follow, is discovering and following natural law it's not man making up law and inflicting it upon other men. So what is the source of natural law? That which made man. But what is the source of all man-made law? Obviously, it is man. So man-made law is the ultimate source of all tyranny in the human experience. All tyranny, whether we're talking about something obvious like, you know, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, whether we're talking about obvious things like that, or whether we're talking about the little old lady down the street who calls the, the city, uh, who calls the police on you because you haven't mowed your lawn this week. It doesn't matter the depth of tyranny. Tyranny comes, at its very source, tyranny is one human or one group of humans inflicting their will upon other humans when, when no aggression uh, is justifiable. This, this is the source of tyranny. It is man-made law. And I was talking um, the other day with someone about how typically humans like to write down their man-made laws. They like to write them in text. But the funny thing is about writing anything in text, if you have any kind of a complex thought, if you have any kind of a complex uh, uh, information that you're trying to get across to another person, about the worst possible thing you can do is write it into text and hand it to them. They're most likely to get confused or they're most likely to mistranslate what you're trying to say. The best way is face-to-face, eye-to-eye communication where we express to one another our thoughts and our feelings and we can express very complicated um, uh, bits of information like that. But when you begin to break down that one-on-one communication... Let's say it becomes a phone call where you can't see the person, but you can hear them. Well, you can hear a lot from their voice, and you can tell a lot what they're saying from their voice. But you lose a major part of the communication when you take people uh, away from one another where they can't see each other. And it's even worse when you take people and you, and you try, to, uh, try to express those thoughts in text. If you think about you know, trying to text somebody in, on your phone or in Facebook or on a forum or any other way that you're putting words um, in print like that and you're trying to express complex thoughts, then you face a real uh, hazard of, being, uh, uh, of what you're saying is confusing and it's hard to get across those complex thoughts. And that's the tendency towards law. When humans decide that they're going to start writing down laws, and in the Western culture, this started. This only started happening about 1600. Prior to that, in Western culture, um, outside of things like the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire, but uh, outside of things like that, most law was not written down in any way until about 1600 in the West when, when people began to try to write these things down and standardize them. And, and that's one of the major flaws of the state uh, and of government. Once you begin to try to write down and say, this is exactly what the law is, then you have the flaw of text, and you have the guaranteed flaw that, that someone is going to twist what you're saying. Someone's going to pick apart the words, or common use of the word is going to change. And within a couple generations, what you're writing down is not really going to mean the things that you think it means when you were writing it down. And that was one of the one of the objections to writing down a physical constitution back when the United States uh, became a federal government, or when they developed the federal government, uh, that is, 
one of the one of the objections was that we already have a constitution. We have a constitution through English tradition, and it was a constitution that everyone understood. And when you write the thing down, then you put limitations on people, and you and you set the situation up to guarantee a failure. And that's exactly what the con- when writing the constitution. Um, at the Constitutional Convention, when they did that, they guaranteed the failure of the federal government that they were putting together because uh, because of this um, tendency of text to not be able to um, continue to express the original thought as language develops and as, and as the meanings of words change and the common usage of words change. And pretty soon, the Constitution itself, written in hard you know, in, in letter form like that, becomes useless. And that's where we are now. The Constitution is just man-made gobbledygook. That's all it is. And people are trying to make a religion out of it. Oh, they already have, haven't they? And that's what we face. It's, it's grabbing that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and yanking the fruit off of it and proclaiming that you are God, and you are the judge, and you are the lawmaker. It's sin. Folks, for more on liberty, property rights, and zero aggression principle, go to badquaker.com. Thank you very much for listening.